Well, we uh, just finished our season in, Ad- in Advent, and uh, next week uh, we're going to start a uh, vision series. So we're in an in-between week, and that means I got to pick whatever I wanted to preach. And uh, that's a great thing, and it's also a bad thing. I was uh, sort of didn't know what to preach from, so I chose this text, and um, I'm not sure if it was a good choice, but we'll go with it. Um, why, why did I choose this text? Why did I choose this text? Uh, for two reasons. first reason is, is that this is just one of my favorite texts. Um, this text is like a sci-fi movie, okay? <laughs> uh, sometimes I, th- I think, you know, uh, sometimes I think that we, you know, we, we, we've, re- we've read the miracles of Jesus so much that, that, that they've become trivialized to us. But just think about what happens in this passage. If, you're, if you were paying attention during uh, the reading, Jesus brings his, uh, three of his disciples up on this mountain, and he starts to glow, Right? <laughs> And not just that, but two ghosts appear on either side of him, right? And not just that, but a cloud appears above them and starts talking, okay? Right? That's stuff out, out of the X-Files, okay? That's just crazy, right? It's, it's one of my favorite passages simply because of how crazy it is. It's just a crazy text. It's like a sci-fi show. Um, so that's the first reason. I just like it. It's entertaining. But the second reason is this. Um, during the Advent season, we consider... Uh, you know, we look forward to the coming of Christ and we consider who Jesus is and why he's come. And uh, we spent the last, you know, four or five weeks doing that. Uh, but I want to continue to do that this week. And this is one of the best texts uh, that shows us just who Jesus is. Uh, this text is incredibly formational, in other words. Uh, it is a revelational type of text. It reveals to us something very important about who Jesus is and why he's come. And, uh, you know, when the early church was forming a doctrine of Christ, uh, at the very beginning of, you know, the, the third and fourth and fifth century, when they were forming, when they were thinking through who Jesus was, this was one, was one of their more fo- uh, foundational passages. And also, for the disciples, this was a formational event uh, in their life. You know, after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, this was one of the events in their life that they looked back toward in order to understand who Jesus is and what he had come to do. Uh, For instance, the apostle Peter writes about it in detail in one of his epistles. This was something that he would never forget. And he looked back to it, and and it informed who he believed Jesus was and and what he came to do. And, you know, I I just want you to put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Right, the disciples have been traveling around with Christ probably for a couple years now. Uh, but they're constantly confused. They're constantly baffled by this Jesus figure. Right, because on the outside, for all intents and purposes, uh, Jesus just looks like this poor, uh, uh, traveling teacher from Bethlehem. There's nothing spectacular about him. Uh, you know, Isaiah talks about there's nothing glorious about him from the outside. And he constantly baffles uh, the religious leaders. He constantly baffles the disciples. And over and over and over again, the disciples are left wondering, who is uh, this, this Jesus guy? Right? And the Jews, you know, they, they expected a Messiah that would be kingly and strong. Uh, but Jesus was not. Right? He was a carpenter from Bethlehem. And so they were, you know, they were constantly wondering, who is this guy? And I just want you to, to think, what would this event called the Transfiguration Jesus glowing on top of this mountain, what would it cause them to do? What would it cause the disciples to think? 
And on the one hand, you know, verse 6 tells us that they were terrified by the entire thing. They were terrified by the event. But surely they would have said, hmm, you know, maybe there's more to this guy than meets the eye. Right? Maybe there's more to this person called Jesus than what we, had, than what we can see with our eyes. And that's, and that's uh, the, the entire point of the transfiguration. The transfiguration is a text of revelation. Uh, it shows us something incredibly important about who Jesus is and why he's come. And so uh, this morning, I just, you know, we're going to go a little shorter this morning, but I just want to meditate on this passage. And uh, what this passage tells us is just the, the two things that I just mentioned. It shows us two things. It shows us, first of all, who Jesus is, and then second of all, it shows us why he's come. So who Jesus is and why Jesus came. And so those are the two points we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. All right, so let's go ahead and, and jump into our first point. This text, this transfiguration text, shows us who Jesus is. And the question is, what does it show us? What does it show us about who Jesus is? Well, very simply, it shows us that Jesus is not simply a good guy. Right? That's what a lot of people nowadays like to think. You know, I love the teachings of Jesus. I love the moral, ethical teachings. I love the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus seems like a really good guy to me. Right? But is he alive? Well, I don't know, you know. He seemed like he was just a traveling rabbi. He had some good teachings, uh, and that's just about it. But what the transfiguration teaches us is that Jesus is much, much more than that. Jesus is, in fact, God. He is Yahweh who has come into the midst of his people. Now, the question is, how does, how does this text teach us that? Well, the disciples would have picked up on the details immediately. And, and that's because they were immersed in the Old Testament. They knew the, the events. They knew the stories of the Old Testament. But suffice to say, this episode here in Matthew mirrors uh, many of the major stories in the Old Testament. I just want to look at one this morning. And uh, I just want to go over the details of this text one more time before we see how this text mirrors something in the Old Testament. It says in verse 1 that Jesus took three of his disciples, Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And uh, we don't know what the mountain is. Apparently, it's the, the details of that are not important. And verse 2 says that he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Okay? Now, <clears throat> Matthew is wanting us to think of a very specific Old Testament story. Because believe it or not, <laughs> Jesus' face, you know, Jesus is not the only guy whose face shone in the Bible. Does anyone, and, and you guys can answer actually, does anyone else know whose face shined in the Bible? Moses, Moses exactly. Jacob. Yeah, that's, that's true as well. Moses was the right answer though. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but Matthew is very clearly referencing the story of when Moses, you know, after he had led uh, Israel through the Red Sea and into the desert, uh, they went to the bottom of this mountain and God made a covenant with them. And they pledged to be God's people. They pledged to be in relationship with them. And, and God said, well, you need laws to know how to obey me. And so I'm going to give you laws. And so Moses went up to the top of this mountain. And it says that Moses was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And he didn't eat and he didn't drink. And he received uh, these instructions from the Lord. He came back down with the, with the commandments. The question is, how, how did 
Moses stayed up there for 40 days and 40 nights without drinking or eating. And the text tells us that Moses was in the presence of the glory of God. Okay? Moses was in God's presence, being sustained by God's presence for 40 days and 40 nights. Okay? And he was in the presence for so long that when he came down from the mountain, his face was glowing. Okay? And the question is, how, how, why was his face glowing? Well, you can think of it like a sunburn. Okay? Uh, if, if, if you're at the beach for a long time under the sun, you know, I've gotten sunburns where like, you know, not only is my skin red, but if you touch it, you can feel the heat. You know, you know what I'm talking about? The, the, sun, the rays of the sun affect your skin so much that you, know, you can see it, you can feel it. All right? That's what happened with Moses. He got a glory burn. Okay? He was in the presence of God for so long that his face, the skin on his face began to radiate. And uh, it, it freaked the Israelites out, and they said, cover that up, okay? <laughs> and so he had, to put, he had to put a curtain over his face, all right? And so uh, this is clearly what Matthew is referencing to, uh, because he says that Jesus, in verse 2, that his face shone, okay? But there's two uh, uh, big differences between the story of Moses and, and the story in Matthew 17. First of all, it wasn't just his face that shone. If you look in verse 2, it says, that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. All right, now what's going on there? Well, presumably, it's not just his face that's shining. It's his, it's his entire body that is glowing. And you can see the effects of it through his clothing. So his clothing lights up because his skin underneath his, his clothing is, is shining. And so it's not just his face. His entire body is glowing. Okay? <coughs> And so that's, that's the first difference. The second difference is this. When Moses' face was glowing, it was because the glory of the Lord was shining on him like the sun from the outside. All right? Where was the glory, where was the shining coming from? Where was the radiation coming from with Jesus? It was coming from the inside. Okay? It was coming from the inside of his body, and it was radiating out. Right? And you can picture it like, uh, you know, if you're driving at night and somebody has their high beams on, right? It's the, the, the light is so overwhelming. It's radiating out of the, uh, out of the beams, right? Um, I was going to show you some pictures, but I don't think that they really capture it. It was probably very bright, right? And it was shining on the disciples. And they said the whole event terrified them, okay? And so Jesus didn't have a glory burn, right? The glory was shining through his body from the inside, and it was going out, right? Now, what does that tell us about Jesus? Jesus contained and owned the glory of God, right? The kavod, the glory that shined on Moses, right, from the outside was on the inside. And what that means is that the very glory of God was coming from the core of his being, and it was radiating through his physical body. Okay? Matthew's trying to tell us something. Okay? And uh, you know, just a little uh, fun fact about the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew loves to compare Jesus to Moses. So at the very beginning of, of Matthew, uh, he talks about how Jesus went up to the top of the mountain and, and gave these uh, commandments. And he's clearly comparing Jesus and Moses. Okay? But what's going on here? Well, what Matthew is doing is he's comparing Jesus to the very glory of God. And the disciples 
are, be, are, are like Moses. They're being led up to the top of this mountain, and they're seeing the very radiance of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so Matthew's trying to say, remember that glory that Moses saw up at the top of the mountain? That's Jesus. Right? This is a very incarnational text because the divine presence, the divine glory has come to rest in humanity. And this is who Jesus is. He is the Son who is a divine person, but he has become human. And Jesus is revealing his divine glory to the disciples. All right? And so that's what it reveals. It reveals that Jesus Christ is the very glory of God. He is God himself who has come into the midst of his people. And you know, just as an aside, why do Moses and Elijah appear beside Christ? Well, Moses represents uh, the Torah in the Old Testament, and Elijah represents the prophets. In other words, the entire Old Testament is standing uh, on either side of Jesus. And what it's meant to convey is all that the Old Testament is looking forward to, the coming of God for his people, is in Jesus Christ. Right? All right, so the, and then there's one, one more thing that I want to Mentioned before we look, move on to our, our second point here. How do, how do the disciples react to this revelation of the divine glory? Uh, Peter, of course, reacts in an interesting way. If you look at verse 4, Matthew tells us that Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. Uh, if you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And the voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. All right, so what, is, what does Peter do? Well, he's so mesmerized by the whole, the whole you know, experience. And this would probably be our reaction. It's like, wow, this is amazing. I want to contain this as much as possible. I want to keep this forever. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to build three tents, and we're just going to keep you up here. Just stay like this, Jesus. Right? I can come and visit you. Maybe I can get tickets, right? And I can, uh, I can hand them out. And I, can, I, I can sell tickets. And so people can come, come and observe this glory, right? Peter is so mesmerized by the whole thing, he just wants to keep it for himself. And then this cloud, which is the voice of the Father, comes and says, this is my son, right? And uh, presumably it's, it's, it's frightening because the, the, uh, the disciples are, are afraid after it. Why does the Father say, this is my son? Because Peter's missing the whole point, Peter is, is, is amazed by the glory. He's amazed by uh, how beautiful it is, and he wants to trap it. He wants to keep it for himself. And the father comes and says, no, 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 you're missing it. This is a revelation of who Jesus is. He is the son. Right? He is the son of the father. I just want you to think, uh, the son of a duck is a, right? The son of a dog is a, the son of God is this is a richly Trinitarian text. Jesus Christ is the Son of the Father. He is the revelation of the glory of God. And so the whole point of the transfiguration, or at least one of the whole points, is to reveal to us Jesus' divine identity. He is the very glory of God that appeared to Moses at the top of the mountain. And he contains it. He owns it in and of himself. He's not borrowing it from the Father. He has the divine glory. It is part of who he is. He is the divine son. 
And so that's the, that's the first point there. <clears throat> it teaches us something about who Jesus is. <clears throat> but another thing that this text teaches us, and this was so important to the early church, is it teaches us something about why Jesus came. Why did Jesus come to this earth? And you, you can think of a myriad of reasons of why Jesus came. He came to save us from our sins. He came to obey the law where we didn't. He came to die in our place and so on. But what's the end goal of Jesus coming? And very simply, the end goal of the coming of Jesus Christ is to make the world alive again. God has come in Jesus Christ to communicate his very life to us. Okay? When Adam and Eve sinned, death and corruption and sin and evil broke into this world, and we're broken. We're all broken. But God has come to communicate his own life, to breathe life back into, into our world, and to give us his own, a share in his own life. Um, where do I get that from? Well, I get that from verse 2, from this word, transfiguration. Um, what does this word mean? Uh, the Greek word is, is, is literally uh, metamorphos. Uh, we get our word metamorphosis from that. And so Matthew wants us to understand that when the divine glory shined through uh, the humanity of Jesus Christ, something dramatic happened to him. He was transformed. He went through some sort of metamorphosis. Uh, the question is, what type of metamorphosis did he go through? Right? What type of transformation was it? And, you know, when you think of the word transformation, uh, there are lots of things that can come to mind. Right? You can think of, uh, you know, the typical one is, is the caterpillar changing into a butterfly. Right? The caterpillar is an animal. Uh, it goes into this weird cocoon thing, and it comes out a totally different animal. Right? Uh, or you can think of uh, the Transformers movies, okay? Uh, they start out as cars, and then they transform into uh, weird robot aliens, right? So they change from one thing to something totally different, right? That's one way to think of transformation. Um, another way to think of transformation is to think of something improving or enhancing or upgrading, right? So you can think of somebody when they go on a diet. Uh, a lot of times they take transformation pictures, and what they don't mean is they change from a human being to something not human, right? What they mean is they change from one version of themselves to a better version, right? An upgraded version, a more healthy version, a more fit version, okay? Or you can think of uh, the renovation of a house. Uh, when my wife and I moved into our house, it was very old, and we had to change a lot of things in the house. We had to replace the bathroom, the uh, toilet was leaking, uh, we had to put a new roof on. We had to replace the water heater. We had to change a lot of things. There was this really ugly wallpaper on there, right? We had to change it all. And we had to totally transform the house, but it was still the same house, but it was that same house upgraded. You guys following me? Nod your head if you're following. Okay, there we go. This is the type of transformation that Matthew is talking about. When the divine glory shined through the humanity of Christ. His humanity was upgraded. Okay? His humanity was enhanced. His humanity was glorified, in a sense. It was renovated. It was regenerated. It was improved by the presence of the divine. Okay? That's what Matthew is trying to tell us. And usually when we think about human beings coming into the presence of the divine, 
uh, we conceive of it as a scary thing. And that's totally biblical. If you guys remember when Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, went into the presence of God, right? He said, woe is me! I'm going to die, you know? Or you can think about the whole, what was the whole purpose of the temple? Was it, it was so that a holy God could dwell in a holy place. And when the priests went to offer sacrifices, they would have to tie a rope around their ankle with a little bell on there. Because you might die. <laughs> and if you died, they would have to yank you out by, by this rope on your ankle. Right, so it is a fearful thing to come into the presence of the divine. And yet in this text, I want you to recognize that Jesus' humanity is not destroyed. It's not eradicated. Right? It doesn't die. What happens to it? It shines. Right? It's enhanced. It's upgraded, okay? Matthew's trying to tell us something very important about why God came. This is the logic of the incarnation. Ever since the fall, death and sin has invaded our world such that we're stuck. We're stuck in death. We are stuck in sin. And God, who is life and love in and of himself, entered into our fallen situation. Why? To breathe his own life into it again. He came to glorify and to resurrect us. That's the whole purpose of why God came. And, you know, the early church fathers, they had this saying that was very, they were very fond of. They called it the wonderful exchange. And the saying was this, that God became man. God became a son of man, that sons of men may become sons of God. And what they meant was that the God who is life and love and eternity in and of himself came into our world, which is death and sin and corruption, and he communicated something of himself to us through that union. He breathed life into our fallen world such that the world is never the same again. And, uh, you know, a lot of commentators see the transfiguration as a, as a preview of the resurrection. Right? Previews are usually, you know, they're two minutes of a longer movie, which is an hour and a half or two hours or whatever. Transfiguration is a preview of what is to come. It's a preview of the life that God's going to bring into this world in the resurrection. And what happened in the resurrection? Death was defeated. Sin was destroyed. Satan was defeated. And the world has never been the same again. Right? That's what Matthew's trying to tell us. Is that God has come into this world to breathe his own life into us. And so that we can participate in who God is. He is life in himself. He is love in himself. He is that eternal loving communion. And so that's what, uh, that's what the transfiguration tells us. And as we end here, I just want to end with an application. The transfiguration tells us that we are invited into a life of transformation. We are invited through Jesus Christ into a life of transformation. The moment that you believe in Jesus, you are forgiven, you are acquitted, 
and you're made alive again. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you and we participate in God's own life. And day by day, moment by moment, we are renewed. We're transformed. We're made new. The sins that you know, used to hold us captive no longer hold us captive because God's own life has been breathed into us. That's the message of the transfiguration and that's the message of the gospel, that you can be transformed. You can't transform yourself, but God in and of himself can come and live inside of you and transform you. And uh, that's great news. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you uh, for the truth of the gospel. We thank you that in Christ you have brought your own life into this world. That in Christ you welcome us into a life of transformation and renewal. And that we can be totally new creations. Uh, Not a total break from what we were, but better, enhanced, glorified us. And uh, so I just pray that you'd help us to know that and to rest in that and to rejoice in that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.